Are you in a state of recovery? Do you want more clarity and direction? Have you built your foundation and wonder what lies beyond recovery? Do you want to discover what you are truly capable of? And are you ready to discover your purpose, learn to overcome your limiting beliefs, and change your mindset? Are you ready to discover the key to living a purpose-driven life? When we recover, we are returning to a normal state of health, mind, and strength. We begin the process of regaining control over something that was lost, but our journey doesn't have to stop there. This is the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. After overcoming my own 20-year battle of addiction to drugs and alcohol, I have now dedicated my life to empowering those in recovery to rewire their brain so they can change their story and enhance their recovery even further. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me on another episode of the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. So glad you're here. And I was just thinking today that I am so incredibly grateful for laughter. You know, that kind of laughter where you're just, you're crying because you're laughing so hard and you look over at the person beside you and even after, you know, the incident that occurred that made you laugh in the first place is long over, you can't stop laughing because the other person is laughing. You know that kind of laughter? I am, you know, just so grateful for the fellowship of women that I have in my life where I get to experience that often. Uh, And, you know, it's just going to bed at night where your cheeks hurt and you just you're building all these amazing memories. You know, I I remember growing up when I was in high school and of course this is after I started drinking and I had gained a little bit more confidence, but I just remember, you know, the ability to say something to make someone laugh was always something that I really cherished, you know, if somebody was upset or feeling down, just being able to make them smile or laugh, that was just such a feel-good feeling. And I think today, you know, we need to really, you know, create that fellowship where we have that, right? I think laughter is important and it just helps you, helps lift you up. Uh, and especially because of everything that's going on in the world right now, you know, everything is so heavy. You know, if you look on social media, I'm I'm actually grateful also for the algorithms of social media because depending on what you spend your time clicking on, um, you see more and more of that. So if you're always, you know, connecting and commenting to the negative stuff on social media, you're going to see more of that. But because I focus on, you know, obviously the things that I'm passionate about, that's all that I see. So I don't have to see a lot of that stuff, you know, kind of the garbage out there anymore. And I'm grateful for it, right? I'm grateful for that positivity and just the laughter that we get to experience as a result of living this amazing recovered life. Now, if you haven't done so already, make sure you head on over to www.risebeyondrecovery.ca and get your ticket to the Rise Beyond Recovery Virtual Summit. It's taking place April 4th through April 8th, and you're going to get to hear from over 25 amazing speakers in recovery, 
share their story on how they overcame addiction, found recovery, and created a life so good for themselves that they never want to go back to their old way of living. So if you head on over to the website and you scroll down a bit, uh, you'll see that there's a VIP pass that you can purchase. This will give you lifetime access to all the speaker recordings plus an additional bonus gift from all of the speakers. So just imagine, I think there's about 30 speakers now and you're going to get a gift from each and every one of them that will help you enhance your recovery. There's also a bonus course in there, um, all sorts of good stuff. So make sure you check that out. Tickets for the VIP lounge are only 25 bucks, so a few Starbucks coffees, and $15 of every ticket sold goes to the nonprofit organization Touched by Addiction to get someone in need into long-term treatment, and they deal with teen challenge, so I'm really excited about that because it's a long-term, I think it's a year-long treatment Uh, program. And so $15 of every ticket sold will be donated to that cause. And my goal is to sell a thousand tickets for this event so we can help get, you know, around 14 people the help that they need because there are so many people still suffering out there. And so head on over to the website www.risebeyondrecovery.ca and get your tickets today. Now, if you don't have the 25 bucks, totally cool, that's okay. If you scroll down a bit um, a bit further, you can just enter your name and email, click submit, and you are going to get a free ticket. You can join us in the Facebook group, the link will follow, and come join us for an amazing week full of speakers where you can get inspired to create the long-term recovery that you deserve. So let's get into today's episode where I chat with my friend Trisha Peridot. Now it's kind of funny you'll hear us joke around at the beginning of the show. I get to talk to Trisha every once in a while and we were joking around about names and how I have this habit of botching names and maybe it's because I don't know. (laughs) I just, people always seem to call me Tamara, even though I don't have an A at the end of my name. And so I'm always really mindful about it, but I still manage to mess it up. So see, you can even confirm something and still make that mistake, which is funny. I own that shit. And so we have a good laugh about that. Um, But I talked to Trisha today and she shares her story on how she overcame alcohol addiction. We also talk about how she became a recovery coach. We talk about thriving in recovery. And here's one that I can totally relate to. And I'm sure you can too. We talk about overthinking, right? I'm an overthinker. I think a lot. And being able to slow down the voices. So you're not going to want to miss this episode. Uh, Make sure you take lots of notes and yeah, enjoy. Welcome everyone. Today I'm super excited because we're hanging out with my friend Trisha Perado. How are you doing? <laughs> good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm so excited you're here. One. I'm sorry. I did not mean to laugh. My name is a hard one. Nobody gets it right. It's it, it's totally fine. It's Perado, but Perido. it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> I'm gonna get that next time. From Perido to 
Peridot and all the things. And you know, the funny thing is we discussed this before because I have been known to do that once in a while. I blame it that I'm bilingual and English is my second language, even though I was one when I moved from Holland. So I guess it doesn't really fly now, but that's the excuse I like to make. So <laughs> we're just here to have fun anyway. So. We are. We Trisha, are. why I'm don't you, sorry. no problem. Why don't you introduce yourself and let us know what you do today? Today. Wow. My name is again, Trisha Perido. I'm a master addiction specialist. I'm the CEO and creator of all things, turning leaves, recovery, life, and wellness coaching. And that is to say that I am a recovery lifestyle enthusiast with a lot of, you know, little thingies behind my name. And, and I, I generally don't put them all behind my name because there's way too many. Um, but I am a recovery lifestyle enthusiast. I, I work in a very specific fashion with all of my clients. And so in, in the coaching world, you know, it's a, it's a whole lot different than, than, you know, um, weekly therapy, um, and, and talk counseling. Um, so it, it's a, it's a lot different for people in recovery or that, um, are, you know, um, have been in recovery for a long time. Uh, but anyway, so I, I am a recovery lifestyle coach. I'm a life coach. Um, and, and, and I do a lot of harm reduction. Um, anyway, so I, I guess that's, you know, that's what I do. Um, I, I work through very specific methods and practices. Like I said, it's all evidence-based practice that's been converted into the coaching model, um, because it's what speaks to me. Um, I think that our recovery journeys need to be very active and forward moving because ultimately our goal is to get unstuck from the habits that are holding us hostage, the negative attachments. And of course, you know, the addictions, right? And, and so that's what I specialize in uh, primarily with, you know, a level of severity that doesn't warrant needing medically supervised detoxification um, or, you know, you know, severe depression, um, suicidal ideation, those kinds of things. But, um, and my passion really lies in that treatment transition to life period where, you know, we're sent home and it's now what? what next? You know, there's got to be more than AA in therapy. And, and, and that's the space that I fill. I am super passionate about it. I think it's a major gap in service um, because we do, we need to know how to go home to the same house, the same spouse, the same kids, the same bills, the same environment, the same, you know, job, all of the things that we were previously ill-equipped to handle. And, um, and, you know, truly, and this is something that I very much believe is that, you know, we, we really want to move out of the reliance of something outside of us to bring us peace, joy, comfort, relief, value, validity, worthiness. My adjective list could go on and on for hours. And so if we think about that, you know, um, I also work with a lot of people that, that don't have chemical addiction. We may have food addiction, shopping addiction, impulse control issues, people pleasing codependency, um, the workaholic, you know, I, you know, people that base their value and validity and how busy they are and how much they can, you know, do for others. Again, that list can be quite long, but generally it's the negative attachments, the habits holding you hostage. And, and then of course the addictions. 
Did I answer your question? Thoroughly. And as you were going <laughs> through your list of different types of addictions, I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I probably dealt with them all. And I think that's very common for a lot of people in recovery. As we start to peel back the layers of the onion, we start to learn like, oh, now this is something we have to work on now this, right? Currently, mm -hmm. I'm nine years sober and I'm working on codependency because it, you know, I, I always thought of codependency being in my romantic relationship, never realizing that it could actually affect my friendships, right? And such like, I'm learning so much and it's what I love about recovery, but it's also what I love about learning to live a life beyond recovery, right? Which is the purpose of the show is to inspire people. So I think it's just important we learn how to live for ourselves first without feeling yeah. guilty, selfish, punished, or restricted. And, yeah. and if we can do that, then we're going to have so much more success down the road than I know. I'm also nine years, right? Um, nine and a half, whatever. I don't really count, <laughs> I don't really count the days. I never really was into that. Um, you know, I, I was just done when I was done and I was ready when I was ready. And anyway, but, you know, I think, you know, when we start to live for ourselves first and we say, how do I want to see myself experiencing living? And how to see that? Like, what does that look like? And I'm not talking about all the noise outside. Again, that's our problem. We're always worried about all this other stuff outside of us. And, you know, how do I want to see myself living? What's, what does that image look like? How do I want to lead by the example? Meaning be a true, authentic, genuine being so that that's what others are receiving. And, and you know, so now I'm working on how do I want to be received by others? And, and if I'm leading by the right example, they're going to be treating me the way that I desire to be treated. And, it, and it's this wonderful, beautiful system, but it all starts with you and, 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 and being true to yourself. Like my motto is this, this is my life too. It gets to look, feel, be however I want it to. I get to choose. And then I extend that to everybody else that I come in contact with and it all works out great. 99% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I couldn't agree more. Now, you know, a lot of us that do what we do today, yourself included, we have a story, right? There's a reason we are where we are. So, you know, what was life like growing up for you and, and what led to your own addiction? Wow. This is a big story. So I'm going to do my best to, to, to kind of move you through my journey with the key elements, because, um, you know, if I, if I focus on, you know, my last sobriety day it greatly cheapens my recovery journey. And, and so I have this 30 year relationship with alcohol and trauma, but I also had 25 year recovery process. And, you know, a lot of people are like, you're not even that old. What the heck? And, and cause I'm not close, but not, um, <laughs> But, but what happens is not everything was ready to recover at the same time, right? So for me, you know, anyway, so, you know, life growing up for me was, I think, kind of split. There was what was going on inside and what everybody saw on the outside. And, and so, you know, I was reading, writing, doing arithmetic, playing chess, um, all kinds of things by the age of four. But at the age of four was also my first sexual assault. Um, and, you know... Uh, and I didn't say anything to anybody. I harbored that my whole life. Like if any of my family's listening, sorry, didn't tell you. Um, but 
<laughs> but then, you know, um, you know, so then I, I just went into this. I always had this pressure or internal pressure to perform. Um, and so then there was, you know, classical piano and then there was competitive swimming all before the age of seven. And, but then if I look on the internal, I never felt seen. I never felt, um, I felt very dismissed. Um, so I remember my dreams uh, were very much recurrent from, from my earliest memories of four until I was 25, standing in the middle of my driveway, screaming for help with everybody I knew outside milling around, but nobody could hear me. Like there was tons of screaming happening in, inside of me, but could, I could never be heard. Um, so, you know, for me, it was very, right, very split. And, and so in that period, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of traumatic events. Um, there was, um, you know, I saw my dad get struck by lightning. Um, you know, I had a few other sexual assaults between four and, and, and 22. Um, there were five. Um, and, you know, so, and then, you know, all of these pressures to perform. And then my dad was also killed when I was 12 and, and a lot of things, right. A lot, a lot, a lot of things. And so, you know, I just, I, I developed eating disorders. Uh, but when my dad was killed, I, you know, was when I, I picked up the first time, 12 years old, six pack of beer and a pack of cigarettes. And it was just kind of on from there. Right. So alcohol and cigarettes was my coping mechanism. And it was because I, I witnessed all of the adults. I'm like, how are they smiling? Like I wasn't talking to anybody. I was like completely shut down. And and I looked in the common thread, which was in my life, my entire growing up life, all adults drank, not all of them smoked, but most of them did. Um, and so I gave it a shot. So that was my first thing. And it was also the last thing to leave, right? The alcohol and the cigarettes was first and last. Um, and, and then eating disorders, um, body image, body dysmorphia, um, big struggles um, there from, I want to say, 14 to 25. Um, and so, yeah, again, a lot of traumatic events until I was 25. And then I met my husband when I was 27. Um, and, and then there was, there was no more trauma, right. But I carried with me into the relationship because I, I didn't know how to have unconditional positive regard in my life. So, you know, I carried some of that internal dialogue, you know, just, just stuck with me. So I, this is, this is what my internal dialogue looked like. My thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, my opinions, my beliefs, my needs, my wants, my dreams, my desires, um, my aspirations, all were, were seen as not holding any value. We're not seen as being valid. Um, and, and, and I was very, you know, dismissed and disposable. Um, so I, I fell into this role. I, I fell into my role of mother and wife. And, and, and then I no longer knew who I was outside of that. And then I, I forgot my own near-death experiences. Anyway, they happened in there. You know, I had, I had several near-death experiences of my own. Um, and, you know, medical issues, you know, lifelong history of autoimmune um, and a body that just likes to attack itself, whatever. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know... So when the kids all started to leave, you know, so everything was pretty good. And then the kids started to leave and I, I developed generalized anxiety disorder. 
and doctor gave me Xanax knowing I was a daily drinker. Um, so, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't overtaking the Xanax. Sure. I was a grown up, right? Like I knew, you know, don't take them at the same time, but if I, you know, if I, so, but I was still using them both every day. And, and so over the course of five years, I was prescribed Xanax for my anxiety. So over that five-year period, it just exacerbated um, it, both of them, right? So the tolerance just kept growing and growing and growing and and the, the need for it became stronger and stronger and stronger, obviously, right? Like, so anyway, for the first time in my life, I had a physiological addiction I, could ha I couldn't control. Like I'd always been able to, to reel myself in <clears throat> when, when I started to get out of control. Um, and I couldn't do that anymore. The, the shakes, the nausea, the vomiting, the, you know, get well drinks, the, you know, all the things, you know, they were real. And I was, I could feel my liver working when I was going to sleep and all the things. And I'm like, I'm grandma. I don't want to go out this way. Like, no. Right. Like my grandmother, we lived for 18 and a half years with cirrhosis of the liver. And I remember just how traumatic it was for us kids. Granny's going to die this week. Nope, she made it, you know, and for 18 and a half years, you know, like it was a big deal. And there was a lot of alcoholism in, in, in my family. Um, so, you know, it wasn't like a big shock or like this big thing. Like everybody was focused on me. It wasn't, it wasn't at all like that. It was like, whatever, deal with your stuff, man. You know, <laughs> um, <laughs> But, you know, so that, I mean, that's, that's where it ended. You know, I was just like, I don't, this, I don't want this to be my legacy. I don't want to go out this way. This is stupid. I'm, you know, I'm a control freak. Right. And I left a lot of things that, that, you know, happened in my life that, that I don't think are relevant. Um, you know, just that, you know, just the lifelong journey of inappropriately relying on alcohol um, to, to. I don't know, soothe me, give me some sort of relief or, you know, just, just be the answer was just, you know, it was just done. And, and so, you know, I, I went to treatment. I went to a 30, well, I went to a detox, medical detox, um, you know, just to get sodium levels and liver functions. All right. And, and, you know, I did my 30 days, but then I, then there was what it was the now what, what's next. Okay, yay, I can go to intensive outpatient. That's like three groups a week. Okay, right? Like, and I'm not dissing the, you know, our standard protocols because they're, they're necessary and they have, you know, they have purpose for who they have purpose for. Um, but, you know, I was like, no, I like, I want the what's next. And AA would just wasn't, it wasn't, I had done AA several times in my life because I had a couple of DUIs and so I was court mandated. So I already knew you know, the 12 steps and the traditions and all of those things. And I can say them in my head and, you know, it clearly only taught me how not to drink and drive um, for me. All right. So anyway, so I went to school and, and I studied everything and, you know, and started applying these evidence-based practices in my own life and just kind of tried to figure it out. And I did some women's groups and it was amazing um, and then I worked in every level of care. And uh, anyway, yeah, like I said, it's a really long story because it starts at four and goes to 43. Like, 
it's long. <laughs> and so there's just, yeah. But, you know, I think, you know, navigating through what pieces were missing from treatment, what, you know, what I could take from treatment and bring home and what worked well for me. Right. And, and in my practice, I call this added at delete, right? Like what works well for me, what was super important, what was pivotal in my life that made this something that I really value, right? That mental clarity. I value my mental clarity. I won't give it up for anything. And that's when I went to school because I was like, I love this. I need to know more. Right. Um, I, they taught me a tiny bit about post-acute withdrawal. First paper I wrote, right? Like the first thing I did, that was my first study post-acute withdrawal. I learned everything I could I went through 13 research documents, learned everything. Right. And, and then, you know, it just kept going from there, the physiological effects, because I had to figure out what happened because nobody, nobody was fessing up to the fact that it was the doctor's script mixed with my alcohol you know, and I'm not placing blame, but I wanted to know how come. Right. So anyway, um, again, it, I digress. It is a very long story. Um, but, you know, I learned that the life skills that we learn in school and most of us weren't taught um, were, were the ones that I needed the most, mm -hmm. right? I needed to know how to get to know myself because I didn't know who I was. I had this purpose, right? It was to be a wife and a mom and kind of, you know, did that. It was time for the next job and I didn't know what it needed to be. So I got to know myself on a super deep level. Um, figured out, you know, some, some life balance issues and then impulse control, emotion regulation, self-soothing. That's real self-soothing, right? Like I'm not talking, you know, and I'm sorry if this sounds weird, but I'm not talking about yoga or meditation or taking a bath. That's not real self-soothing. Like we've got to learn how to sit in and move through the uncomfortable without white knuckling it and without you know, picking that, like there's, there's a lot of things, you know, we gotta, we gotta really find effective self-soothing tactics and, and then, you know, emotion regulation. Like if you just remove the alcohol, that's not going to take the, the road rage out of you. That's not going to take the, you know, the controlling, you know, like pick up your, you know, be pissed off because there are socks and shoes on the floor. You know, like there's a lot of things we've got to soften the edges on and, and we don't even know it yet. So. I, I love that you mentioned emotional regulation because emotional intelligence is something that I'm starting to learn a lot more about. And one of the reasons that I drank in the first place was my inability to handle my emotions, right? They were gross. Mm -hmm. I didn't like the way I feel. I never felt like I fit in. So alcohol made it possible for me not to feel, right? I was numb. And so I learned through codependency, through pills, through, you know, other drugs and stuff that, hey, this stuff is really, you know, apparently helping me. But the reality was, is I didn't know how to handle. So when I got sober, I remember, you know, finally surrendering to the fact like, okay, maybe I have a problem because I was functioning towards the end, right? Like you, you had this life and on the out, outside, people looked at me and thought, okay, well, she's got it together. She gets a little too drunk when she goes out on the weekend in public. Nobody knows what's going on in my home life, but she seems like she's okay, right? And inside I was dying and I just mm -hmm. remember having to admit that I couldn't do this anymore, right? I had to learn how to 
navigate those emotions. Like I essentially stopped growing from the minute I started drinking to when I got sober and the floodgates. I remember I held on real hard six months. I'm like, I'm tough. I can do this. I'm an adult. And the floodgates just opened. And now that I've actually become more aware of my emotions and I can take that pause and we'll get into that in a little bit because I know that uh, you talk about emotional intelligence as well. Mm -hmm. It has helped me so, so much. Now, can you talk about the narrow perspectives around addiction and recovery? Oh, I love it. I love this, <laughs> this shift in gears because this is a whole other, you know, passion of mine is, is, you know, to be part of the social change movement, right? That we're all, all of us that are now ready and willing and showing up and just saying, you know, yeah, I've got addiction issues, big deal, right? Anyway, you know, the narrow perspectives um, that, that surround it is, you know, we hear the word addiction, we hear the word recovery, and, and our minds go specifically to this. And, and maybe not yours than mine, but <laughs> a lot of people in society, right? They're, they hear the word addiction, they hear the word addict, they hear recovery, and it goes directly to down, out, ill, poorly functioning needs to be removed from their environment. Completely untrue, right? I mean, yes, that's one level of severity, right? And, 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 and it can be a piece of the journey, but we need, really need to broaden that perspective. And, and the reason that I say that, and, and it wasn't my intention when I started my practice, but as I was you know, going along and working with people, I would get these phone calls, you know, um, I don't have an addiction, but everything that you talk about speaks to me. And I wonder if it would apply to this, that, or the other thing. Right. But then I also started, you know, uncovering because I, again, it, it, when I was getting my degree, I studied process behavioral and chemical addiction. So I, I really started helping people illuminate in their chemical addiction recovery, I started helping them illuminate some of those process of behavioral things that were really linking to it and or, you know, just another separate thing that we need to focus on, right? Sugar, um, you know, uh, going to Target with, a, with three items on a list that the kids need and every time coming out with 15 things that, that we weren't supposed to, right? So that, you know, that, that need for Oh, this is so cute. It's just what I needed today. No, it's not. Right? Like, well, you know, there's so many things. <laughs> there's yeah, just I can so many things, right? Like that, that we, that, you know, we, we have a very, again, a very narrow perspective of what, what type of things need a recovery journey. And so as I'm going through the years and, and again, working in every level of care and I'm building my own, you know, my own practice because I, you know, I, I was very purposeful with it, you know, and, and did a lot of investigating and incorporating into my own life testing and you know, retesting and all the things, but, you know, was that, you know, we still need a recovery journey from disordered eating. We still need a recovery journey from, you know, overspending, right? Because there's still that level of emotional intelligence that we need to create then, you know, if you want to take that even further, right, because emotional intelligence is the crux of all of it. But then we've got to move into all of those esteem needs 
and creating a whole new you know, version of that. And then we've got to be able to invite our environment in and include everybody and be okay when they don't want to join. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, we really need to, again, broaden our perspectives just because, you know, somebody says, you know, that they're, they, they're attached to their wine every night. Doesn't mean that they need to go away. Like let's reach out to a provider, right? Let's reach out to a provider and get an assessment. And and I love doing those. People think I'm crazy because a lot of times I do. That means I'm referring someplace else because they need detox. They need stabilization. They need to go, you know, someplace else for a, you know, for a brief intervention, right? Um, but that's because, you know, I want to help them find a place that speaks their language because I... And it's unfortunate that sales have become a part of what we do in the helping profession. And so it doesn't matter who's on the other end, right? If, if they meet the criteria of the facility, they're going to be bringing them in. And, and here's the deal. If the clinicians don't speak the language of the client, we're not going to have the results that we want, right? Like I, I'm, I tell people, I just don't know if this is for you, right? Like my work, I, I'm definitely an acquired taste. Like some of y'all might be listening going, geez, you're full of energy, right? Um, or or you know, for some people, it's, wow, thanks for calling me on my bad work, right? Thanks for calling me on that. I really appreciate it. And other people, I need to be like, super soft with, but, you know, so we want to make sure that whoever we're going to work with or entrust that they speak our language and, and meaning like as practitioners, you know, the clients want to interview us also, which was a cool part of my journey. I did. I took two months before I went and I called them and I got to know the support staff and I knew the counselors and the admin people and all the things. And of course it was, a lot of it was just hesitation. Let's be real. Right. But, but it worked in my favor. So I had to look at that as a big win. Cause when I got there, I already knew whose personality. Anyway, back to the question at hand, we have to quit thinking about recovery, recovery needs in the, in the very narrow perspective of needing to leave our life and go away. Addiction isn't just high severity chemical in nature. It can be very very um, non-intrusive, I guess, if you will. I don't think that's not really the way I want to say that. But again, negative attachments, habits that hold you hostage, because I'll tell you what, that 6 a.m. spin class, that needs some work. If you can't miss it without your day falling apart, there's a problem. I'm here to tell you, there's a problem because we're too rigid. So, you know, I think, yeah. It's a, it's a, I, I love to have, um, complete conversations about that and, and, <laughs> yes. and really, you know, bring that, you know, to people's forefront is that, you know, it's, it's just not. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's interesting because I mean, anybody that I talk to, you know, friends of mine that aren't in recovery, when they ask me about what happened, what happened, right? What is addiction? Like, what do I do today? When I describe what I do today, they'll be like, oh, maybe I have some addictions here, you know, because I told them it doesn't, 
it doesn't just, it's not about substances necessarily. Like you said, it's food, it's codependency, it's shopping. There's all these different things. And I think most people, if they really were to dive into their world, their habits that they have, like you said, have these negative habits that are continue to hold them back. And I'm glad you said that. And, you know, for me, I remember that, you know, the, the stigma of addiction, right? Mm. I looked at myself as very functioning. I was what they call in recovery that, you know, high bottom drunk, which my bottom was when I start stop digging. Let's be honest. It's when I decided that I was tired of continuing to dig that hole and I decided to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but I looked at myself and looked at other people and thought, I'm not like them. You know, I wasn't homeless. I wasn't institutionalized, right? I didn't, I didn't spend any time in jail. So I must not have a problem. And I, I, I just, I can imagine how many people are out there right now that know they have a problem with something like their lives are literally falling apart because of the habits that they've, you know, built up over their life. They feel worthless and they're not willing to get help because they compare themselves to people who are on the streets. Right. right. And I that's just not my not story. So normal faces of addiction. That's yes. what I refer to it as just the not so normal faces of addiction. It just, it allows for it to be whatever it needs to be. Exactly. So let's talk about, one of the areas you help on is overthinking because mm. right? I think a lot of us and probably everybody that's listening that is in recovery, not in recovery, you know, I'm sure they face this, right? But many people in, in recovery, including myself, have troubles with overthinking. So how can we slow down those voices? I love this. Thank you so much because this falls right into something that I do today, right? I do today is not overthink and and not, you know, I call them, I call them rehearsals, right? The, the future trip and mental reels where you're like, you lay down at night and you're like, oh my God, I did it. I'm going to, you know, you're, you're rehearsing conversations with so-and-so or I can't believe I did that. And then it's something else. And then it's now you're talking to yourself about talking to yourself about talking to yourself right? Like, uh, anyway, you know, so one of the things that, that I like to make sure that, that we focus on is the here and the now, right? So the overthinking it's so it's more of right here, right now in this moment, what, right. And, and so, you know, and it, it might look like, what do I need to do to get there? Right. And, and then, you know, it's, I have to go from point A to point Z, to get there, but it, you can't go from A to Z without B through Y. So it's about, you know, slowing everything down and, and being able to, you know, do A and move on and then do B and then C. And I know people are like, oh no, I have to multitask. I'm like, I have way too many things to do without multitasking. Great, but let's not overthink, right? Like let's make it very systematic, like work in two hour time blocks and go, this is what's, you know, going on in this two hour time block. And then make sure you give yourself a 15 minute break to kind of breathe and regroup and evaluate where you are, because I'm, I'm very guilty of that. Like I, my, my calendar is so color coordinated detailed. And I just go through it. Sometimes I, I, I will, you know, I'll be like, did I do that? Did I finish it? Like I, I'm working on a checkoff system now for some of these things that I, I'm like, oh, I'm not sure if I did that. And I have no way of following up, you know, or whatever. 
but you know, so we don't want to be overthinking things. We don't want to be sitting there saying, you know, I got to have this conversation with this person and have like 10 different versions. Let's just, let's just look at what the true intention is and, 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 and say, you know, what is it, what is it that I need? Right. Again, we're back to putting yourself first. Right. And, and why do I need to have this conversation? And, you know, how can I present, right? We want to be very, very assertive and not passive or aggressive. Um, but, you know, the overthinking, the, the future tripping, overthinking, anxiety-inducing uncertainty stuff that's out here is going to keep you in this frazzled state so that you never get anything done because you're actually here. But what really holds you back is your bag of your bag of stuff. Okay. So there's a lot of overthinking that happens in our rumination, wallowing, and languishing that we do, right? We have this bag of stuff. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe they did that. Why would why did that happen to me? All of the woes is me's, all of the days before, years before. Right. Like, you notice how I just kind of breeze right over all my traumatic experiences. It's like, whatever. I, any day I wake up with a chalk line around my body is a great day. Right. I clearly survived all of my stuff. So that's one of the first things I did was, you know, just quit walling, ruminating and languishing in this stuff. Unpack it. Look for the learning experiences. Right. I got this metaphoric shelving system. And and then, you know. I keep the important stuff, the valuable stuff, the things that have validity, and then the rest just goes in the trash can. And then I, I, I make a plan, and then I don't worry about getting to Z. I just, I'm, I'm always in position A, right? Mm -hmm. I, I love that. And, you know, it made me think of emotional intelligence again, because too often something happens to us, right? Everyday life. And instead of, you know, learning about emotional regulation, right, being our emotional awareness, learning where it's showing up in our body, and then taking that pause, we often will start to make up these stories, right? We might feel frustrated, and then we're confused, and then we're angry, and our stories just perpetuate, and they get worse and worse and worse. So, you know, mm -hmm. it becomes challenging. And of course, then we extend it. And the next day, we wake up again, right, resentful, mad, when nothing really happened there. Just something triggered us and we didn't identify that emotion or deal mm -hmm. with it at the time. But, you know, how, when it comes to emotional intelligence, because like I said, I think this is big. That's why I want to go back to this again. How do you help your clients find emotional intelligence so they can overcome challenges? Mm, there are, hmm, there's a series of, I'm trying to remember exactly how many. Anyway, there is a series of roughly, I mean, if you if we look at all of my lessons, there's 54 skill sets and tactics that we go through. Um, so it, it's a lot because emotional intelligence isn't an innate thing that we possess. It has to be, it has to be cultivated. It has to be um created and then it has to be conditioned and it has to be conditioned over time. So uh, if I, if I was to say, you know, where do we start? We start with what I refer to as the core non-physical feeling check-in, right? Right here, right now, in this moment, I feel, 
and and this is just like the bare bare bones basics of of really getting to understand what is emotional intelligence because if i said to you hi how are you today what's your answer great great what's the one you hear the most fine fine <laughs> my yeah. least favorite word ever when i ask somebody how are you and they say fine that is the most ambiguous answer you could possibly give because if you think about the definition of the word it could be anything from a fine piece of hair that would break up the wind blew sideways to the most beautiful piece of fine jewelry you know like a fine stone a fine gem and that is very breakable right like that's that's amazing. So how is fine a good descriptor, right? Like right here, right now in this moment, I feel irritated, agitated, annoyed, frustrated, bothered, elated, intrigued, inspired, right? Like we want to use good descriptive words for how we truly are. And until we know how to describe it, nobody's going to know how to receive us and or interact with us. Just saying, we're leaving it to the, up to their interpretation to figure out how to respond to us. And if they feel like we're saying we're agitated and annoyed, or if they feel like we're agitated and annoyed, but really we're, you know, um, more of in, in this, you know, hurt space, right? Only they perceive it that way. Then there's going to be like, there's going to be an issue because you're going to be like, wow, why, you know, anyway, so right here, right now, in this moment, I feel irritated, agitated, frustrated, whatever. What's driving it? We have to know what's driving it. How much of it is about me and how much of it is about something out there? How much of it's for me and how much of it's not for me, right? And what do I need to do in this time and space going forward to either improve it gain momentum, capitalize on it, whatever, right? Like, how can I keep this momentum going? And, and so that's just, that's just like the basics of even learning. That's lesson number one, you know, module one. Um, and, and, and we start to learn how to do that. And then in our night hygiene, we start to look at what went well today. Why? You know, how can I? condition this further? How can I, you know, utilize it in better spaces? What didn't work as well as I had hoped? Why? What can I do to add it and delete, change, shift, morph, right? What pieces do I need to get rid of? And then what didn't work? Why? And then trash it, right? Because the definition of insanity is to keep doing things over and over again. But it's always, it's always, always start with the good. What's working well, right? Because we always want to we always want to be looking to do what works and being effective, right? So if, we, if we're not calling it out and making it the most important piece of all things, right? We're not working in the right direction. We're staying in that all of these bad, 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 bad things, stressor, 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 right? Like we bring one stress, we get cut off on the way to work and we talk about it when we get to work. And then we talk about it at lunch and then we get home, we're talking about it, telling our spouse, we're just dragging a, a half of a second event and we're just, and then we're just adding more stressors throughout the day. Oh my God, this was the worst day ever. It started with this and then that and, da, 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 and all of the negatives become our focus. 
Emotional intelligence would be, let's look at what's working well, let's be effective and let's, you know, move on, right? Let's move on um, and, and always being focused on, on what we need to do to be able to do that. Um, and, and so these, this is just like very much week one, you know, stuff out the gate. But, you know, we have to be able to learn how to visualize ourselves letting go, right? We have to look at what that, you know, that emotion is. What's the primary emotion? What's the secondary emotion? Like, am I mad at myself for being mad at myself? Like, which is primary and which is secondary? We have to be able to identify those. We have to be able to do a cost versus benefit analysis of every thought, every emotion, every feeling, and, and look at the pros and cons and how do I want it to look, right? Again, and then there's, Oh gosh, you know, vision ourselves, let, visualizing ourselves, letting it go. And then what are the self-soothing tactics? Like, is it, you know, if, if I'm sad, is it eat a bucket of Ben and Jerry's? No, and it's not drinking, but it's also not eat a bucket of Ben and Jerry's. It's why am I sad? How do I, what do I need to do to heal from it? And what's going to effectively make that happen? And, and it, so it's very much has to be an emotion thing without avoidance. We don't want to shove things down anymore, right? That just adds to our bag and it just makes everything super heavy and hard work. And then we just have this bag of stuff and our jobs and our kids and our spouses and real life and bills. And then just life feels heavy. Um, and so I did a little bit from the, my beginning module and my ending module and, and there's just so much stuff in the middle. There's just so much stuff in the middle that, you know, we would really, we'd have, we'd be here a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very big topic and it's, it's so fascinating. I remember in one of our professors that was teaching the emotional intelligence module to us was, you know, he grew up in India and he had, when they were 12, him and his friend, his friend had high emotional intelligence. And he said they were often bullied, right? Because they were the science guys, right? They were the academics. They were the ones that got picked on. And he mm -hmm. said, you know, a bully came up to us once and, and told his friend, you're an idiot. And his friend just stopped and said, oh, okay. Well, thank you for telling me that. Could you tell me why I'm an idiot? And a lot of people say things to get a reaction, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, the bully kind of was dumbfounded, like, what kind of a question is that, right? Because I don't think people expect that when you start to question why somebody's asking you something mm -hmm. instead of letting your emotions go away. And he goes, well, just because you're an idiot. And the kid said, well, you know what? That's great. I know you think I'm an idiot, but I would really like to know why you think I am so I can change it. And he right. walked away, right? right. And as that's a 12-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's... You know, not to cut you off, but I really want to highlight that, right? Like we have to have that, that particular piece, right? We have to step out of the stance of judger, move into the stance of a learner and, and start to utilize the power of inquiry so that we can seek to understand at a deeper level. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's an argument. It doesn't have to even be another person. It could be a conversation with yourself, like, ooh, quit being so harsh and judgy, right? Like the world is judgy enough. Like we look on, we look on social media and it's like, oh my God, nah, 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 nah. like, why are you judging? That's their life. It gets to look, feel, be however they want it to. Like mind, mind your side of the street. 
Um, but, but that's exactly what that, that person that you were describing was doing was utilizing the power of inquiry to have, you know, to have a deeper understanding as to why th this person was assessing him in such a fashion, even though he knew in his heart and in his gut that it wasn't true. He knows he's not an idiot, but if he could at least reference it to, in what are you referring to, right? You know, cause sure. Like, I don't know a lot about basketball. So maybe he's just thinking, you know, like, and then it's so then it's just that category, which is also another enormous piece of the pie is learning how to not attach one thing to all things. Right. I took a, a, a client of mine through this, you know, she was feeling very worthless, very unheard, very dismissed and, and in her whole life. And by the time we got through with it, we narrowed it down to, it was really just rooted in her relationship with one person. And had nothing to do with all of her other categories, circles, people, environments, nothing, just one person. And then we got to only work on that one relationship. And it was so easy. And we moved on so rapidly. Mm -hmm. oh, I love that. Yeah, I could talk for hours about this, but unfortunately, we're out of time. So Trisha, how can people, if they want to get in touch with you, learn more about what uh, you do, how can they get a hold of you? Well, they can, obviously they can go to turningleavesrecovery.com. There are several, several tongue twisters, several <laughs> forms throughout the website that you can, you know, either submit or subscribe. I would say, find a contact form and just write me a little note. Like, Hey, I heard you on the show. Wanted to ask you a few questions, right? Like that's totally cool. You can also um, reach out and request a consultation. Consultations are always free. So are, um, you know, um, find my right fit, you know, meet and greets. I'm cool. I'm totally down to have any free conversation you want. Um, and, and if it means helping you, you know, navigate where you need to start, that's totally fine. Um, I, I'm totally down to help you, whether we need to do a full mental health addiction severity assessment, whether you just want to do a whole health survey, whether you just want to have a conversation, totally fine. So you can find me at turningleavesrecovery.com or if you have a pen, you can just send me a text at 805-710-2513. Super easy. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your expertise today. <laughs> Thank you. I really loved being here. I, you know, I, yeah, it's, it's just been wonderful. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. And if you know somebody who wants to get a little inspiration, maybe somebody who's struggling in their recovery, make sure you share out the show. And don't forget, the first annual Rise Beyond Recovery virtual summit is happening April 4th through April 8th. You can get a free ticket or you can get the VIP lounge pass and you'll get all sorts of cool goodies that comes along with that. The best part is that $15 of every $25 ticket sold goes to Touched by Addiction to get somebody in need into a long-term treatment facility. So head on over to the website at www.risebeyondrecovery.ca and I'll see you there. I have had the privilege to walk alongside of many people who have built their foundation and further enhanced their recovery. But unfortunately, there are still so many people 
who are still suffering that need our help. The Road Beyond Recovery podcast is a proud sponsor of Touched by Addiction. Addiction thrives in isolation and darkness. Darkness cannot exist in the presence of light. So if you or someone you know has been affected by addiction, there is help. At Touched by Addiction, we are dedicated to exposing addiction and ending the plague. Be that beacon of hope and light that so many desperately need. Each t-shirt or sweater you buy helps to get a struggling addict off the streets and into a year-long addiction treatment program. If you want to support the movement, go to www.touchedbyaddiction.com.